Welcome to Miami Creators, a show about Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. On today's episode, I speak with Max Borges, owner and CEO of the Max Borges Agency, a 100% tech-focused PR firm whose current 50-plus client roster includes iconic brands like DJI, AT&T, Urban Ears, Hisense, and many others. With over 50 employees and offices in Miami and San Francisco, the Max Borges Agency has been featured on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies eight times. Today's episode is special for me because I have known and worked with Max for over 17 years and consider him a close friend and an incredible mentor. Today, you'll hear us discuss the road that led to where he is today and the biggest influences and key moments in his life that helped catapult him into success. We also cover some of the decisions and principles that made the business successful and how other entrepreneurs can apply those same principles to succeed in life and business. But what makes this episode truly special is hearing Max open up about hitting rock bottom, not knowing what would become of his life and what it took to claw his way back into a life worth living, or as he would put it, writing his own comeback story. Please enjoy this intimate and inspirational conversation with Max Borges. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you, Corrado. Great are, to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing fan-fucking-tastic. I expected nothing less Hell from yeah. you. Before we start, yes. we're going to go over a lot of the reasons why you're on the podcast and why am I on this podcast? Because you're a very successful person. No, but because it hasn't, I know you. Because it has not always friends. been the case. And yes, I've true. known you. That is true for over seventeen years. Yes, and I found the transcript of a speech that you gave to a graduating class in Miami Dade College. Right, and let me kind of go through that. January first, two thousand one. That was the day I realized everything I had done in my life had ended in failure. Yeah, yeah. One, you graduated from high school, but barely. You were ranking at the bottom of your class, and you didn't know what the opposite of valedictorian was, but you know that nobody was asking you to give inspirational speeches at your high school. That's true. <laughs> you went to college and flunked out after one semester. Yep. You started several businesses. All of which failed. Yeah, eventually they did. Yeah, my all failed. And, but the good news is that you did have a job by then. But more bad news, your boss had just told you that you had 60 days to either find another job or resign. Yep. You had been married, but then divorced. And to make matters worse, by then you had just gone through one of the most difficult and heart-wrenching experiences of your life which was watching your mother die of cancer. Jeez, Corrado, is this how you start a podcast? <laughs> I'm like depressed all over again. So I want to know how you come back from that low point in your life. And I want to contrast that with the successes you've had in life. Maybe some, yeah, something a little bit more positive. So my name's Max Borges and I'm the founder of the Max Borges Agency, which is a public relations agency I started almost 18 years ago. We focus on consumer tech companies only, and we have 50 employees, more than 50 clients, and we have an office here in Miami and one in San Francisco. And I'm married and I have three awesome kids and life is fan-fucking-tastic right now. What led you to say, I'm going to start a tech PR firm in Miami? Yeah. So you brought up that date of uh, January 1st, 2001, because that was the date that I got on a plane and went to London and just traveled around the world for a while. I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I'd gotten fired from my last job and I couldn't really, I, I looked around for a job for a little while, but I couldn't find anything. And so when, you know, my two month time limit that they gave me came up, I just decided I would I would travel. Fortunately, I had saved up some money and I thought I would book a trip to Australia first. And then somebody said, well, if you're going to go all the way to Australia, you should go to New Zealand because it's right next to it. 
And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Somebody else said, well, you should just, you know, go to Thailand because that's on the way. And then I had never been to Europe and someone suggested I go to Europe. So then I thought, well, why don't I just go to all these places? And so I went online and I found this round the world uh, airplane ticket that was affordable. And so I went to London and traveled on a tour through Europe. And then I went to Thailand for a week and I rode elephants and met a lot of people. It was really a lot of fun. And so then, this is coming off getting fired. Yeah. And you don't have a job and you decide you're going to blow all of your... Yeah, not only did I have a job, but I was at that point I was homeless because I took all my stuff and before I left and I put it in a storage warehouse. And so I didn't have a place to live. And so I got on a plane and just, you know, started that trip. But at that point I was depressed, I guess. It's, it's still hard for me to admit that like I was ever really depressed, but I was. And it was just kind of a way of distracting myself from the reality of my life at the time. And so, you know, I went on this trip and from Thailand, went to New Zealand and did a 200 mile bike trip that I was not ready for. And, and I just did everything. I went bungee jumping, went jet boat riding. I'm trying to think we went on a helicopter on a glacier. It was just like, so this trip everything. was more of like a therapy session oh, or absolutely. trying to find yourself. Yeah, like a, like a painkiller. I mean, I, it turned into a therapy session, but it kind of more started out like as a painkiller because it just distracted me from everything. But after a couple of months of being out there, I remember being in Australia and it was like the, the last few days of the trip and I was going to have to be, I was coming back to Miami and it just kind of hit me like, okay, this trip is over now. Ooh, that's and, a scary moment. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to come home and what the hell am I going to do? Because I'd always been super motivated and always had some business or something that I was excited about that was driving me and that I was moving toward. But this time I was coming back home and I was going to have to find a place to live, find a job or find something to do. And, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have enough money to last me for too much longer. So it just kind of hit me. And I remember it was, I, I went to go see a movie in Sydney. And then afterward I was walking around. It was like late at night. It was like, a, it, it was like a movie because it was like midnight and it was raining and I was sitting in a park and it just kind of hit me that like, I had no life. I had no future. I had no girlfriend. I had, I had nothing. And, um, and it just, I just broke down and it sucked. And then the next day, for some reason, this speech had popped into my head. A friend of mine had once given me this CD with a speech on it called Great Comebacks. And there was this line in it that said, there's no shame in being down. The shame is in staying down. Get up. That was kind of the hook of the speech. And it told all these great stories of people who had really been challenged and had been down at the bottom and sometimes near death and had somehow come to be very, very successful. And that I'd, I'd listened to that speech many times. And for some reason, that whole that line, get up, get, up, get up, get up. You can come back was, was in my head. And so I thought, okay, I need to like pull myself up and really figure this out. And so I wasn't, I still wasn't sure what I was going to do, but as I got on the plane to come back to Miami, at least was a bit more hopeful, but still it's like, okay, what's going to happen? You know, I mean, I wanted to be motivated about something. I wanted to have money. I wanted to have a wife and a family someday. And I had no clue where any of that was going to come from. So I get back to Miami and um, I had managed this band kind of as a hobby. And they were recording at a recording studio. And I got there and there was this girl working there who was absolutely gorgeous. Her name was Liz course i'm there i'm the manager the band is there i'm thinking one of these band guys is gonna like <laughs> ask her out or take her out the girl the hot girl never goes out with the manager so we started recording there and i started going to some sessions Plus, at that point you are broke homeless and <laughs> yeah i'm really not in a really good not a great, place not a great to catch. like impress anybody no i'm not a great catch at all but after a few weeks of kind of going in and out of there her and i talked a bit and when we were done I just said, well, what do I got to lose, you know? And so I asked her out to dinner and uh, kind of surprised when she said yes. 
actually, I asked her out to dinner like on a weeknight. Was it going to be a Wednesday night? And she said she couldn't, but she could go Friday night. That's why I thought, ooh, that's okay. promising. She, she just upgraded it to a weekend night. <laughs> so uh, we went out on, on that first date and it was amazing. Uh, we went out the second night. We went out a third night. I think it was like the third night that I asked her to be my girlfriend. And nine days later, we were at her place and um, I looked at her and she was looking at me and I said, this is it, isn't it? And she said, yeah, this is it. Like we knew nine days in that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. That's beautiful. So, um, and fast forward to today, you guys have a beautiful yeah. marriage, three wonderful kids. Yeah. It's incredible. And I'm as excited would have about never her thought and it. happy about her as ever. And that's something I like the moment before I met her, I really didn't have a whole lot of hope that I would ever have somebody like that in my life. So I'm, I'm really just unbelievable it's like i won the lottery you know i love it 10 times over so and that was obviously the first domino as i said to yeah. your comeback story so yes. how do you get from being where you were to deciding yeah. i'm going to open up what would become the best tech firm yeah well it's interesting is i'd started a lot of other businesses in my life and there was always that idea okay here's the kind of business i want to start and then i would go and try to start it and get it going. And it didn't work out. This time I was looking for a job. Couldn't get anybody to hire me. I sent out a hundred resumes. I got one company that called me up and said, oh, we can't give you a job, but maybe we can give you some consulting work. So we, we came to an agreement and they gave me this consulting gig. It was basically putting on this national band search competition for them and getting sponsors and things like that. And it was right up my alley and I would be doing it from home. It was a company from uh, New Jersey. And it paid well enough so that I could, you know, pay my half of the $900 a month rent because um, I was now living with, with Liz and, and her four-year-old son. So I took the gig. And um, after a couple of months of, of doing that, I realized, you know, it's only taking me half the day. I can get another client. And, um, and so I started really looking for uh, more work and, and got another client. And then Liz uh, found this little shithole office that was near the apartment we lived in. And it was perfect because it was cheap. It was 500 bucks a month. And I remember when I signed the lease being really, really nervous about it, just going over it and over it and over it because I was going to be committing to a year at 500 bucks a month. Little did I know that, you know, like 15 years later, I would be paying almost $50,000 a month in rent and um, so <laughs> if I would have, if you would have told me that then, I would have freaked out. But yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was anything anybody would pay me to do. I call it the AFM stage, the anything for money stage. If it was in marketing, then I would do it. And we did PR for a minor league hockey team. We did PR for this um, financial consultant that I'm pretty sure had just gotten out of jail, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Do you remember that guy? <laughs> no. Consolation. What I do remember Consolation, is the Constellation counter, counter terrorism, Car counter terrorism thing. training group. And yeah, they're very there diverse, all, all kinds of things. Well, and you know, we missed a whole part, right? Like after I got that office, I think I was there for a, a month or two. And then you walked in, I thought you were lost and actually you were. Yeah, I was. But <laughs> you were sent there by a teacher of yours who I happened to know who thought I had a recording studio for some reason. Doug Burris. And so you Doug were looking. Burris. Yeah, Doug. If there's anyone inspiring in Miami, oh that, my was, God. that was him. He was, he was an amazing guy. I guess maybe we should talk about him. He's a quadriplegic who taught the rock ensemble program at Miami Beach Senior High School and that guy, even though all he could do was look at you and talk to you, he couldn't even shake your hand, was one of the most inspiring and effective people I'd ever met in my life. Like that guy could get more done with his words than most people could with their entire bodies. Not only that, it was the number of lives he he impacted. Oh, like, so you many. could not go through his classes and not be 
fundamentally changed. Yeah, a better person. His, a better person. I was fundament, fundamentally changed just by knowing him, and I wasn't in any of his Which classes. Which is why the 73rd Street Banshell, that stage is named after him. Oh, really? Park, or, oh, I don't think I knew that. Stage. Oh, that's great. So thanks to him, you walked in and I looked at your resume. I'm not exactly sure why you didn't turn around and walk out the moment that you realized. Why didn't you turn around and walk out the moment you realized it wasn't Because I was studio? looking for, at that time, I was looking for a job at a recording studio. Yeah. And as you know, a lot of times the recording studio, if it was a successful one, they would often have an office off-site. Ah. So, so for a when, second there, you thought we were a whoa, very successful, this is very successful. recording studio this is with just an offsite a, office. Exactly. <laughs> with an offsite studio. And it's, you know, here we go. Let's find out. But quickly, little yeah. did I know that was not the case. So the good news was that on your resume, you had put some IT experience My hobby, that you had. Building computers. Right. And, uh, and I happened to have two computers that I needed to network. And I think, what did I have? A network card? Is mm -hmm. that what it was? And I asked you, hey, can you hook this up? And you were like, yeah. And I said, can you do Half it right now? Half an hour later, it was and, done. And you were like, hey, you want a job? I was like, sure. Until I find that recording studio job. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so I was- uh, And we were off to the races. Yeah. And I think a week or two later is when uh, a guy named Ted Miller, who I had met, through the band that I was managing at a club. He wanted to book the band. He called me up because he'd gotten fired from his job and needed to borrow a computer in order to look for new jobs. So I asked him if he wanted to do a little bit of part-time work uh, for me as well, uh, which he, he, he did and helped out with. And then soon after that, we signed our first PR client. And based on what we learned from the work that Ted did with our first PR client, we signed ultrasound headphones and Alienware computers. And we just started signing a lot of consumer tech companies, but also a lot of other stuff too. And so we kind of plowed forward and kept hiring people, kept signing clients and got to a point where we were about 10 employees or eight employees and almost a million dollars in revenue, which was amazing to me that we would be that big uh, at that point because it was it wasn't my plan to start a business, right? It was, I, I was just looking for a job. I got this client and now here I have, you know, like eight or 10 clients and, and all this revenue, but I didn't see how I could grow it anymore because we had so many clients that we really didn't know how to handle them well or how to do the work well, that it just kept coming to me and I was the bottleneck. And so um, this was the big turning point. I went home one day and sat at the table and I had been reading Good to Great by Jim Collins and I had been reading Straight from the Gut, which is the autobiography of Jack Welch, the CEO of GE, and also Rockefeller Habits from Vern Harnish. And all three books said the same thing. You got to figure out what you can be the best at. And there was this little exercise in Rockefeller Habits that caused me to write down two lists. One list was all the clients that were happy and that we we're doing great work for. And one list was all the clients that, you know, we were having some challenges with. Fortunately, the happy clients were, was about 70% of our business. But what struck me was that the 70% list, the first list, was all consumer tech clients that we were doing media relations for. We were generating press coverage for. That's all we did for them. And they were super, super happy. The other 30% was a mishmash of different things. And I realized, wait, if we only did this first list, if we only handled those clients, I would have like nothing to do because all those clients are being handled by the few employees that we had and they're being handled really, really, really well. And it wasn't that I didn't want to work or I thought, oh, wow, I won't have to work anymore. It's that then I'd be able to shift my time to building the business and scaling the business and getting bigger. And but that would also mean giving up a lot of money. Well, right. yes, that, that's true. And we did, it, with respect to the fact that there was some new business that we were looking at that didn't fit the new profile of client that we had um, decided we wanted to, to focus on. And, and so we, we ended up kind of walking away from some new business opportunities. But the ones that we still had, that 30%, we didn't get rid of those clients. We just kind of 
over time, they just faded away. But the good news is, is that that year, and that was April of 2007, about four years, four and a half years into the business, that year we grew 74%. And the business was now easier to run and less stressful. And I could see how we could grow it even more. And so we stayed focused and just kept growing the business. And every year it was more employees and we'd get to 1.5 million and 2 million and 3 million. And I remember somebody saying, oh, you know, when you get to 5 million, you know, you're going to be doing really good. And I thought, wow, 5 million, that's amazing. Like, I can't even imagine ever getting to 5 million in revenue. And we got there and we surpassed that and 6 million and 7 and just kept going. And and you coming, you not coming from the traditional PR background also allowed you to kind of have a little bit of healthy irreverence towards how things were done. I mean, I had no PR experience and I had no agency experience. So we just made it up as we went along, but always with the intention of doing something great. Um, What we were fortunate to discover uh, in the beginning was that we could focus, right? So when we started to, to get a bunch of clients, we started to sign clients that had the same type of products, like multiple headphone clients. And I didn't know that you couldn't represent multiple headphone clients and that it would be a conflict of interest. So we just did it anyway. And over time, it just became, you know, the saying, two is a conflict, three is a specialty. And so that's what we live by now, right? And I think that if I had had agency experience, I probably would have never signed that second headphone company or that second Bluetooth uh, speaker company or the second, you know, anything company where now we've got probably hundreds of different conflicts, but they're not really conflicts. It's just part of our specialty. Companies come to us because we have deep experience doing exactly what they need us to do. And we do it really, really well. And that more than offsets any discomfort that they have. Any business hurdles along the way? I mean, the company is very successful, but um, there's obviously been hurdles along the way. You know, building a business is just a series of hurdles, right? And I've never really thought of hurdles as hurdles. I've just thought of them as things you got to figure out to build the business. And that's it. So it's the process of being successful is overcoming hurdles every day. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like a journey, right? It's like it's, if you go hiking, you know, you're stepping over rocks, you're climbing up a mountain. You don't go that's a hurdle. You go, that's hiking, right? <laughs> that's it just right. is. <laughs> you've, you've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, right? You didn't go, oh, I'll have this hurdle that I need to overcome. No, you decided <laughs> you were going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro that's and you just of kind of went, that was just part of the goal of the process of what you were doing was, you know, overcoming this huge hurdle, which was Mount Kilimanjaro. How tall is that? 19,000 feet? Yeah. That was like unbelievable that you did that. But but let me bring, so let me mention something there. I know that was part of the journey, but there were parts during that journey where I was doubting myself, Yeah, where I hated life. And I was thinking, well, why am I even doing this? I could just go down right now and just sit by the pool and relax. There were times where I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm not sure what was it that kind of pushed me. Maybe it was the goal or whatever it was. So in your case, yeah, building a business, it's part of the journey. The hurdles are there. But have there been times when you go, okay, why why am I even doing this? Um, I don't know that I ever completely lost hope, but there were definitely times when I was shitting bricks. And one of those times I can remember early on, and I think this is around, I don't know, 2008, somewhere around there too. No, maybe it was 2007. Anyway, it was when um, we had Alienware as a, as a client and they'd gotten pretty big uh, for us as a client because we had done good work for them. And then Dell was about to acquire them and we were let go. And that was a big chunk of business. And I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to replace it. Um, and fortunately, they had a 60-day cancellation in their contract. So I remember 
the day that we got let go, we all went out for drinks and I just said, you know, we'll get through it. We're going to replace this client with more clients. I wasn't really 100% sure that you what I was saying was true, <laughs> but I knew that I had to make sure everybody else was believed it, gonna... it or we were really screwed. If I showed any doubt, then, you know, I was really afraid of that, that things could really get worse. So I just worked really, really hard to find replacement clients. And in that 60 days, we did. We replaced all of the business that we were losing from Alienware. And that year we still continued to grow. So we still had a, a growth year and a successful year. And it, it was just funny because it, I think about like how terrified I was when that happened, but then how we were able to overcome that. And, and you know, each time that happens, it gets a little less scary, you know, because you realize that you can overcome these things. And and that was probably a good one early on because over over 18 years, we've lost a lot of clients, but we've gained even more. And so that's just part of having an agency. You're going to gain clients, you're going to lose clients. And um, w- once we overcame that one, and that one was just so scary that it just made everything else way easier. Switching a little bit more to the personal side of things. How, when you're looking back, you've been through one hell of a ride how has life turned out differently than you expected? Than I expected when I first started or when I was a kid or, I mean, like... When, you know, when you're growing up, everybody has this, this idea of what their life is, how, how it's going to shape out. Yeah. Well, some of the that dreams changed, and hopes. Th- that changed a bunch of times during my life, right? So when I was 15, I dreamed and was sure I was going to be a famous rock and roll singer. I was in a band and in high school and I was going to be famous and I was going to be rich and famous and I'd be on stage and there'd be thousands of fans cheering for me. When I was 20, I thought I would be a record producer and work in recording studios and make records. When I was 25, I thought I would have an event production company because that's what I was doing. I was doing events, music award shows and things like that uh, that were pretty cool. Um, and none of those things panned out. So I always had a dream. None of those dreams lasted too long because I always, I would discover whether or not that was really the right path or whether or not things were clicking and then kind of go, okay, well, let me try something else. Let me find something else to get excited about. And each time one of those things failed, like I'd be bummed, but I but I never really lost hope because there was always I always knew that there was something else around the corner. The only time that I was really, really discouraged, where I really had lost all hope and thought, okay, my life is over, was right when I was traveling and right before I met Liz and right before I started this business. Um, so if that, you could go back to that moment, what would you say to yourself? And oh. it can't be, hey, don't worry, buddy. It's all going to turn out good. This is why. Yeah, that would that like, would, no, 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 no. It yeah, can't yeah, be You're that. about to meet the woman of your dreams. Hang in there. Just a couple more weeks. You can't give it away. You can't give it um, away. Wow. At that moment, I mean, aside from hang in there, I, I don't see what advice I could give myself that would help. The only thing that would have helped me at that moment would be some sign that things were going to get better. And at that point, there was no sign. Right. So there really wasn't much that was going to make me feel better at that point. If your 10-year future self came back to today, what advice do you think you would give yourself today? Go forward 10 years yeah. into the future. I guess I'd probably give myself the advice to not stress out so much about whether or not I'm being a good parent, being a good husband, um, about how my kids are going to turn out. You know, that's my biggest uh, stress right now is, am I doing the right things? And how is it impacting my children? I know that your dad was an incredible influence on, on your life. So... Talk a little bit about them. What, yeah. what, what are some of the things that, looking back, you, you see in yourself that you took from him? Oh, God. 
I, I learned so much from my father and he was such an incredible inspiration. And, you know, when you're a kid, you know, your parents are just like, they're those annoying people that you have to live with and that tell you what to do all the time. And then when you grow older, then you can look back and kind of see how much you learn from them. And my father was an incredible human being when, when he was 17 years old, he was, he's Cuban, uh, born in Cuba. And when he was 17 years old, he was arrested for protesting against Fidel Castro. This was around 1960. And his sister, who was 19, was also arrested. But because my father was underage, my grandfather was able to get him out of jail. My aunt subsequently was uh, stayed in jail for 12 years before she got out of the Cuban jail. But um, my father got out the next day and my grandfather sent him to Miami where he finished high school. And then he went to New York because there was a job waiting for him at a bakery. And when he got there, there was no job, but uh, he ended up getting a job at Sears selling appliances. Keep in mind, my dad, you know, lived in Cuba till he was 17 years old. His English wasn't all that great, but that never stopped him. He, he started working at Sears and started selling appliances and I think he started with vacuum cleaners and they moved him to like larger washing machines and things like that. And he was a really good salesman. And one day this guy walked in and, uh, and was really impressed by my father's selling skills and gave him this card and said, Hey, if you ever want to sell real estate, you know, give me a call. And a short time later, my father called up the guy, his name was Victor Herder and said, uh, Hey, you know, I'm interested in learning, you know, real estate. So, um, when my father didn't quit his day job, but nights and weekends, days off, anytime he had any time off, he would go and work with, uh, you know, selling real estate and learning how to sell real estate and very soon became a successful real estate salesman. In fact, he convinced one of the people at the real estate firm that he worked with, or I think it was one of the owners to invest in some property in Florida and bought a plot of land in St. Petersburg. And next thing you know, I'm seven years old and we're moving from New Jersey to Florida and my dad is uh, building homes and he had no construction experience. He wasn't a c contractor, but he was a good salesman. And he figured, you know, if I, I can sell the houses and I can just hire somebody to build them. So he hired a superintendent who had a, a, a contractor's license and he just started building houses. And so as a kid, you know, my dad was, you know, he'd get up in the morning, he'd put on a suit and a tie every day. And he'd go to work and um, he made things happen. And, and he was always very positive. He wasn't like, oh, I'm going to work. I mean, he, it was, you know, he was always very proud of what he did and, and loved it. And it was, it was not a nine to five kind of a thing for him. It was his life. And, uh, and he just built hundreds of homes. And I always lived as a kid in neighborhoods where all my friends lived in homes that my dad built. And then, you know, as I grew up, even though my dad did well, he did a few things that were really impactful for me. Um, one, I remember as a kid, he would always introduce me to his friends uh, as if I was very important. And that made me feel important. I didn't realize it at the time, the impact that it was having on me, but it was, it was really important. And then uh, the other thing that he did was, uh, I remember as a teenager, he would ask me for his it, for advice on things like if he was writing a speech, because he was he would speak uh, a lot and and he would uh, ask for my advice there. Or if he had some new business idea, he always had some new business idea that he would do in addition to building houses. Once he opened up a restaurant, another time he promoted this concert. Like he would do all these different crazy things that he had no business doing, but he would figure out how to do it. And he would ask me for my advice on these things, and that really made me feel smart, you know, because. Uh, he was Certainly taking my you advice. build your confidence, oh, right? Because a lot of yeah. times parents nowadays or even back then would be like, oh, you're just a kid. I don't right. Know. No, no, no. I would be 14, 15 years old and he's asking me some, you know, pretty serious stuff and oftentimes taking my advice. So that was- I, I Or remember. helping you understand why the advice or, or your thought oh, was yeah. wrong. And so now you're learning about yeah. business. Yeah, yeah, now yeah. you're I, learning about- Absolutely. And then, right. and then the last thing that he did that was important was- Though he gave me everything that I needed, he didn't give me everything I wanted. You know, I, I had a car in high school, but it was a 1979 Pontiac Safari station wagon with the wood grain on the side. 
Um, it was a fairly Classy. hideous car. Classy, man. And, uh, but I could fit a lot of friends <laughs> in that station wagon. So, you know, we had some good times. Listen, when you're in high school, you don't care how the car looks. You just care that it drives that's, and that it gets yeah, you from point yeah, A to point that's, B. To- that's, that's true. But eventually I was ready to move on from that station wagon. And that was, and, and that was good because it, it, you know, if he had bought me a really nice car, then I wouldn't have had the desire to, you know, go out and work and make money. And I've always worked. I mean, when I was... Uh, when I was 13, 14, I would mow lawns for the neighbors. Um, and when I was 16 years old, I remember you had to be 16 to work. And my first job, I started on my 16th birthday at Taco Bell. Uh, I went into interview before I was 16 and somehow convinced them to hire me. And I worked at Taco Bell and I worked at various different stores in the mall and things like that when I was 16, 17, 18. And, um, and it wasn't that my dad made me work because he, he never did. I just I wanted to work. I wanted to make money. I wanted my own money. Um, and and I think he instilled that by not giving, you giving me yeah. like spending money or giving me this or that. You know, I remember when I was in a band and I wanted a PA system, I had a couple of speakers and an amp and a microphone so I could sing in this band. Um, and it was 400 bucks. And I was like, dad, please, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in this band and I really need this. And he was like, no way. I don't even care if you're in a band. And so I had to go to this guy who was selling this used PVPA system. And fortunately, he agreed to let me make payments. And so, you know, through mowing lawns and my job at Taco Bell and things like that, I eventually paid off the 400 bucks. And I'm willing to bet you took really good care of that. System. Oh yeah, I took real. That's, that that's was, an excellent point. Yeah, and there's I there's did. pride and joy in that, right? They're, accomplishing uh, yeah. that for yourself, which you know, the other day I heard um, something. It was pretty powerful. It said, "We try to give our kids what we didn't have, and instead we should be teaching them what we didn't know." Hmm, that's and, great. That's and great. and it's it's true. When you become a parent, you're just hell-bent on giving your kids what you didn't have. And in the process, you're robbing them of this drive or the yeah. hunger to say, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna get this for myself. I'm yeah. going to work my ass off and, and buy that PA system. Yeah, that's true. I remember being upset that he didn't buy it for me, but at the same time, I wasn't going to let that stop me. I sure as heck wasn't going to give up. And, you know, the, those little things were just really important in developing my confidence and ability to figure out how to make things happen for myself so any other influences or moments in life that shaped your future i think the one that was really surprising for me was when liz and i got married we had known each other for nine months now we knew we were going to spend the rest of our lives together after nine days but we got married after nine months. I mean, we'd both been married before. So I think we were both a little like nervous about what everybody was going to say. In fact, we ended up just going to the courthouse and getting married because I just couldn't bear the thought of having a wedding and inviting people and them looking at the two of us and going, oh, I hope this lasts. Mm. You know, they sure did jump into this pretty quickly. Um, We eventually did get married in the church uh, four years later. But by that point, we already had Michael, my stepson, and and two daughters, and I think people realized that it was probably going to work out, and so uh, we felt better about it then. But at the, at the time, we just ran off and got married, and uh, and I remember we lived about two blocks away from the elementary school where Michael went to school, and you know at this point, I've got my first client, and it's not even a full time job, and Liz is working a full time job working for an electrical contractor now, so I would walk Michael to school in the morning, and that first morning when I was officially his stepdad, I remember he and I walking to school and I was holding his hand and uh, we were just walking quietly and I was just thinking to myself, wow, this little guy is going to be watching everything I do from now on and I've got to do right by him because the example that I set is going to mold the kind of man that he turns out to be. And that was one of the most important and I don't know if motivating is the right word, but it forced me to be 
disciplined and consistent in the way that I approached my life and the way that I approached the business, you know, more so than I had ever been in my life. I'd always been a little bit more kind of inconsistent and scatterbrained. And, uh, and I think this kind of forced me to get serious about my life and, and what was doing. And, you know, just knowing that Liz and Michael depended on me made a huge difference because then suddenly making money wasn't about making money for me. It was about taking care of them. And that that's just far more powerful than making money for me. Right. Any quotes that you think of often or that you try to live by? You know, the one that I said before, there's no shame in being down. The shame is in staying down. Get up. That's the one that drove me to, you know, have hope again when I was hopeless. And it's one that I have thought about as I was growing the business and when it still wasn't solid enough that I felt confident that it was going to be around forever because, you know, those first few years were very scary. Um, that was the quote that was always in my head and always kind of kept me pushing forward, you know, because I, I always said to myself, you know what, you've got to create the story that you're going to tell, right? And do you want to say you went through hard times and it ruined you and it brought you down? Or do you want to say, well, I went through this hard time, but I picked myself up and I figured it out and I worked hard and I put my feelings aside for a little while and I overcame these challenges and I ended up being more successful than I'd ever dreamed I would be. And that's a story that I wanted to be able to tell. And that's what, what motivated me to you know, create my own comeback story. Any <laughs> books that you know drastically affected your life? The, the most important book I ever read was Success Through a Positive Mental Attitude by Clement Stone and Napoleon Hill. Um, I read that when I was 19 years old, and that was the book that really just made a light bulb go off. Like, wow, you can accomplish anything. You can do anything. There's nothing that you can't do, and you have control over your life. And I didn't realize that before. I didn't realize that up until that point. I just kind of felt like the world was in control of me until I read that book. And then I realized that I was in control of me and that I could impact what happens in my life. And that created a enormous amount of motivation and inspiration in me that just changed everything. It changed my attitude. It changed how happy I was. It changed my energy level. It changed the things that I would try to do um, and... And so it's it changed what I wanted in life. So that's when you were 19. Yeah. Yet you still went through this other dark period where is it you kind of forgot about that? You like um I I think at that point I felt like god, I've done I've tried so hard, you know, and here I was uh like 34 years old and I felt like I've tried so many things and none of it worked. And here I am divorced and unemployed and my mom's gone and, and, and. Cause it, it is interesting, it just, right? Like it, it usually like that type of book hits people at a, at a low point in their life. And then it's, it's the thing that catapults them to, yeah. to change to the, well, but I, I'm for sure you, that those it less, came for you. It came way earlier. Well, yeah, it it did come earlier, but it still catapulted me in a way that it it just kind of changed my mm -hmm. way of thinking. And look, looking back at all of the failures that I had, like the different businesses that I tried starting or the jobs that I got fired from, I learned something from every single one of them. They were all critical to my being able to do what I'm doing now. And if I had not gone through those things. I thought there were failures at the time, but they were really lessons. And I was, you know, just building off of every one of them. And I pull lessons from, 
from people who I've known and from things that I've tried to do for this current business all the time. Like there's probably not one job I've had in my life that I can't tell you what I learned from that job that I apply to my life today, whether it was working at Taco Bell or, you know, working at some construction job that I had or working at the mall or working for the Grammy Awards or working for Mars Music or, I mean, I've had a lot of really, really, really great experiences that all just accumulated into um, the ability to do what I'm doing. Right. Love it. I love it. Switching gears a little bit. Let's talk about Miami. Miami. I love Miami. Miami. This is what I'm calling the Miami rapid fire. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You fire off the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Favorite food spot and dish. Lung Yai Thai Tapas on 8th Street. It is the best Thai food anywhere. I went there after going to Thailand uh, like a year and a half ago for the first time, and it was better than any Thai food I had had in Thailand. Okay. What's the dish that you go to go for there? The, you know, I hate to say the, the pad Thai, but because it's just like the generic Thai, but the pad Thai is so good, but everything's good there. Just, just go there and eat. It's delicious. I okay. love it. If you're stuck in Miami traffic, what are you listening to? Sometimes it's, I'd say 60% audiobooks, 40% music. If I'm listening to music, it's probably something hard rocking, like Highly Suspect, or maybe some classic metal like Iron Maiden. So, yeah. Or audiobooks, I'm, you said? I'm usually, yeah, audiobooks. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. What are you listening to lately? Uh, I just listened to the autobiography of Bob Iger, the guy who is, um, who is the CEO of Disney right now. Um, but... Yeah, I listen to most of the books nowadays. I listen to on audio because I feel like I can get through them that much more quickly because I okay. listen to them at 2x speed. So. 2x, yes. okay. That's good. That's Used to be 1.5, but now I'm getting to like 2x now. I, I can do 2x every once in a while. Yeah. Depends on how fast they read or, or, or they go through the content. Yeah, it just focuses me in when, I'm, when, I'm, when it's at that speed. So I just, I, I feel like I could pay better attention. I lose, I lose focus if I have to listen to it at 1x. <laughs> doesn't work favorite way to spend a miami weekend playing golf going for a run on the beach going out with liz spending time with the kids like if i can do all those things in a weekend then which i usually can that okay. is a great weekend any other miami businesses that you like are are inspired by or that you're excited to see what they're doing next um you know a cool business and i had the founder uh was a guest on my podcast unconventional genius which i'm plugging right now thank you is a guy named carlos ramirez his company is powerful and they make powerful yogurt which is a high protein yogurt and other high protein snacks and he's this guy who immigrated from venezuela and he's done an amazing job. And he's finding, here in Miami. He's here in Miami. Yep. Oh. And, and in fact, he lives like six or seven blocks away from me. And he has found this niche in a very crowded market. And as I said earlier, it's important to f figure out what you can be the best at. And if you, someone said to me, "Oh, I can be the best maker of yogurt," I'd go, mm, "That's going to be tough." But he decided to go with high protein yogurt targeted toward men, which was something nobody else was really doing. And got into Walmart and um, and it's just he's he's killing it and it's just a really cool, really cool company. Very cool. Which leads me into my last question: yeah. um, business advice that you can give to other entrepreneurs, either here in Miami or jumping into the tech scene. Um, the best advice I can give anybody starting a new business is to look for, and you may not be able to figure this out before you start the business, but. Um, look for what you can be the best at. You've got to find your your niche and then focus in on it and develop that. And it's what can you be the best at for what kind of company? Marty Neumeyer, who wrote the book Zag, calls that your onlyness, right? I am the best blank for blank customer. If you can figure that out, life even is even better. Lot if better. you can, in, instead of being the best, you can just be, I am the only oh, blank. Absolutely. That 
Yes. Yes, yes absolutely. Um, th- that would be the best thing. Sometimes being the yeah. only is hard to figure out, right. but you can be the only that does something in a certain way, right? right. So maybe with powerful yogurt that I just mentioned, it's, you know, we're the only yogurt that is, you know, has 20 grams of protein and is made for men or something like that. So that's the big aha moment. And that kind of goes for like personal, there's kind of a personal way to look at that too, right? If you can figure out in life what you love to do, what you're great at, and what there's a market for, where those three things intersect is your sweet spot. And that's where you're going to be really, really, really successful. But it's important that you have all three, because if you love to do something- A lot of people only have two. Right. And if you love it, (laughs) but you're not great at it, you know, that's like, you see, you watch American Idol and you see this guy go up there, girl- and they're really not that good a singer. And they're like, but it's my dream. Right. And it's, I've always, yeah, okay. You may love it, but you're just not that good, right. you know? And your parents shouldn't have told you you were good because you suck. And now you've wasted your whole life trying to be a famous singer right. and you can't do it. And there has to be a market for it because if there's not a market for it, if, if people are not interested in whatever it is you bring to the table, then that doesn't work out either. But if you can figure those, those three things out, you can mess up a lot of other things in life. You know, and I always look at the example of either some musician whose life is a complete mess, right? But they love music, they're really, really good at it, and there's a market for the music that they're making. It doesn't matter that they are beating up their spouse, going to jail, getting in trouble with the law, carrying a gun, uh, doing drugs they're still making millions of dollars and are incredibly successful right. despite all of these horrible things that they shouldn't be doing. And I'm not suggesting that anybody should do that. Of course, you should not do any of those things. The point is, is that if you get those three things right, what I love, what I'm great at, and what there's a market for, then other things matter a whole lot less. Right. Max, thank you. And thank before you, we wrap up, how can people find out more about you, connect with you? Mike is yours. Uh, go to the website, maxborgesagency.com or check out my podcast, Unconventional Genius, um, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, or uh, swing by the office and say hi. Very cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, Corrado. Appreciate it. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Just wanted to share two quick things before you take off. One, for detailed show notes, recommendations of people or businesses you'd love to see featured on the show, and even more, head over to miamicreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening.